Hello everyone and welcome to That's A Wrap podcast. I'm your host Joe Downey. And I'm your other host Matthew Parkinson aka Matty P. The date today is the 18th of May and the time at the moment is 2.59 and yeah we're a basically a film po- podcast where we wrap up the latest films we've seen yes. uh, from two film students soon to be graduates mm. but you know. Graduating in like less than a month I think well about yeah, a month oh, Jesus Christ it's <laughs> <laughs> so always just impending yes. existential but doom this episode yeah. isn't exactly like the others because this time we're only talking about two films whereas usually such, we talk about twist. three <laughs> <laughs> we've gone from three to two we'll see, we'll see how we... it goes because usually our podcasts yeah. are about an hour but this one may be a little bit shorter depending on how much we have to say <laughs> the favourite part of the podcast is just hearing you talk about time management <laughs> See, it's ingrained. Become a podcast AD. You're like, we've got 15 minutes oh, left mate. on this. <laughs> it's ingrained in me because I'm used to doing it in the recording studios, which we only had right. books for an hour. But now, That's obviously, true. we have as much time as we want now because now it's just chaos. Now it's just chaos. <laughs> right. Before we go into the films we're talking about today, I have some admin and uh, just stuff to touch upon in general. Mm-hmm. We now have an Instagram page, yes. uh, which is called TAW Podcast, because some fucker's already taken That's a Rap Podcast. <laughs> Don't know what for. <laughs> if you're somehow listening to this, I'm sorry. But yeah, that is TAW Podcast. If you would like to suggest us any films or topics for us to talk about, our DMs will be open on that. Um, as for other platforms, um, we are available on... Where? What are we available on, Matty P? Facebook. I written down. Uh... As in for to listen to. We will have oh. a Facebook and Twitter maybe in the uh, future. Spotify. Yes. I, what I've done is I've written, like, notes, right? Yeah. And I've put them in the wrong order sometimes. Oh, Joe. <laughs> so I was just like, I've <laughs> put in the latter half. Uh, anyway, right. So we are now available on Spotify, Google Podcast, Anchor, Pocket Cast, Breaker, and Radio Public. Nice. And if you want to give us more notoriety, help out the show, you just give those a, um, those a follow on those platforms and make sure to leave a, v- a review where possible. And yeah, so... We've already had a few listeners, the... I believe. We have. Um, I think... Not I just my mum. the exact stats, but like... <laughs> oh, your camera went for a bit. Oh, you am good? I back? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you disappeared for like two se- seconds. For those listeners at home, we're uh, talking to each other via camera. <laughs> yeah, good old Discord, which I've never... I've never used for its actual purpose, which is, like, for gaming, right? Yeah? Actually, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. I've, I've been on a Minecraft thing. I've, I've only started using it this year. There you go. When we had um, that thing. Yeah. We, we, uh, we had an episode of... Well, no, not an episode. We, uh, we, <laughs> you know the, the TV show The Circle? Yeah. Well, we did a virtual version of that, basically, um, which was a lot of fun. Your camera blinked for a second again. I'm worried that you're going to disappear on me, but still have your audio, so it's all good. Um, other bit of admin. Uh, if you guys want to follow and keep up to date with what we're watching, you can follow us on Letterboxd. Uh, my username is Joe Film User, and Matty P's is Clappy P. Clappy P is my username. Do you want to delve into why that's your name, or is that... <laughs> <sighs> I mean, we're only t- we've got a lot of time, so I guess I could... <laughs> Basically, so obviously my normal nickname is Matty P to mm-hmm. most people who know me. Um, and one time when I was on a film set, I was I had a clapperboard, and before just before a take, I said "Oh, Clappy P," and Perfect. everyone thought it was hilarious <laughs> and amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you you'll get to see our just our fresh hot takes. Yeah, the the, the best takes. What's the most recent um, film you saw, Joe? Oh God. <laughs> I wouldn't. I I I wouldn't put this film aside for a podcast episode. But yeah, we just watched uh, Murder by Death, which is a spoof of murder mysteries, but it's it's very dated. Um, mm. It has a very racist Peter Sellers performance that just angered me. And the last um, film I but, saw was also a, yeah. a murder mystery. Oh yeah, literally the same day. <laughs> yeah, the new version of Murder on the Orient Express with uh, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. It, uh, do you want to unpack that film at all? No, no, not really. It's just thought I'd <laughs> mention. Have you seen it? What, like three or four times? Now? I've seen it four times. My family really like it. I'm not the hugest fan, but it's it's all right. Um, if you like Kenneth Branagh, has there been any uh, Parkinson household debates or now? No, not, no, not really. 
Okay. How, how do you do mean? you guys have any disagreements over certain films? Or? Oh, all the time. Yeah, they they like oh, okay. a lot of films that I don't like. I like films that they don't. Uh, they didn't like Snowpiercer. Uh, oh, they weren't a huge fan of Snowpiercer. Yeah, um, just watch it again. Yeah, that's my that's my solution. I I <laughs> need to rewatch it as well. It it's been nearly a year now since I've seen it, so I would like to rewatch it. Yeah, and what what have you been up to uh, lately outside of film? Uh mainly just been working on my grad project like I haven't been watching too many films recently because I've been working on my grad project which is a short animated film and that's usually gone on from like I work on it in the evenings as well so I don't usually get a chance to work to watch a film but yeah it's close to being done so that's that's good uh yeah what about you what have you uh what have I been up to um Mainly just dreading my work. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much it. We did that and a bit of Minecraft where where needed. I had a near breakdown the other day because a creeper just blew up all my stuff. Oh no! Um, and I had a lot of stuff, and I'm not good at Minecraft, so uh, yeah. Was... I could teach you. Yeah, teach me <laughs> the Minecraft ways. Mm-hmm. Um, some film news. Uh, yes. So I got t- two bits to touch upon. Um, Luca Guadagnino is going to be very busy after mm. lockdown because not only does he have a Lord of the Flies adaptation coming out, but he will also be doing a remake of Scarface. Yes, he will. With, uh, uh, a new a new draft by the Coen Brothers. Mm. So I heard about very that. Very excited to see that, as well as the Lord of the Flies one. He's got the uh, the writer of the book A Monster Calls to write the Lord of the Flies adaptation. So yeah. it, it's interesting. It just seems seeing like the Luke, Luke is going to be doing a lot of. Yeah just adaptations yes. and it's interesting seeing a film that the Coen brothers have written but not directed because they've done mm. I think three of those right now and it's been like a mixed bag it, you know, right they, they usually do do like a pass on someone's script right um I, it's sometimes I think with Bridge of Spies it was so Matt Charman I think wrote the original film and then they sort of uh changed it a bit updated it uh, I'm not sure about the other ones because they also did. Was it Unbroken, the Angelina Jolie film? Yes, they film, did. Yeah, yeah. And Gambit, which I I don't <laughs> uh, yeah. care about. I don't want to watch it. Just look at the poster for Gambit, and it will you know. I've seen the trailer for Gambit. It's got a Oof. naked Alan Rickman in it. There you go. Yeah, it's... You know they say don't judge a book by its cover, but certain you posters you just you I th- know what you you're in absolutely for. can. Yeah. Um. In other news, uh, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> online is very angry at Robert Pattinson and for quite a stupid reason I think so basically he has done a new he was in the new like Vogue or something some magazine Mm. and it was like a zoom lockdown into type situation they had him you know take his photos for the for the photo shoot and whatnot and they were talking about uh (laughs) there's a really just as a side note there's a really bizarre chaotic segment when he talks about what food he's been making he's been making very He's been trying to microwave pasta. Oh, with with uh, instead of breadcrumbs, uh, cornflakes. What an exciting life! Anyway, so <laughs> now you're thinking these these foods are rather unhealthy. So he he mentioned in his interview that he'd been ignoring his personal trainer for the new Batman film. Oh, because he like I'm paraphrasing, but he. He he essentially thinks that it, actors will be a part of the problem if they have to f- feel the need to constantly be in shape for films and constantly bulk up all the time. And because his personal trainer said to uh, stay in shape during lockdown for the rest of the Batman shoot because they stop shooting. I mean, pers- um, personal health is important, yeah. But if you are playing Batman, yeah. you should have a degree of fitness. I which think. he, which he already does. Though you can't have like I... a pot belly and be the Dark Knight, <laughs> no, can he, you? He, he, he won't. He, he, he doesn't have one though. At the no, moment. no. He's relatively in shape, and that's why I think it's a bit silly that ever because there was like a lot of outrage online about this mm. um, from Batman fans. Um, when if you see pictures of Rob Patterson at the moment, he is relatively in shape, and yeah. the, the the outfit has padding as well mm. so I suppose it's just personally. a question of maintaining that I guess because yeah. wh- when is when, when are they shooting Batman once it well they they shot when's it scheduled for uh, it's been pushed back to I think October 2021 so is that a release yeah the release yeah, date yeah, yeah. Um, 
I, d- I think they shot just like a third of or or, or less okay. of the of the Batman so far. Yeah. But um, I th- I think just the the outrage personally is a bit silly considering there are pictures of Robert Pattinson in relatively great shape and even in stuff like the lighthouse he's like quite built yeah uh, but yeah it was I, just I remember him being sort of to... like sort of wiry in the lighthouse but sort of still in good shape sort of slender right. yeah. yeah yeah um i don't know i just i just i thought it'd be an interesting topic in the sense of like actors having to stay in shape constantly because like he would mm. he was set his argument again paraphrasing was like Stars like James Dean didn't have to stay hench twenty four seven and all this stuff <laughs> like, um, but I guess you know it changes with you know the modern star being like the superhero actor now. I suppose just obviously main talent. The obvious example is Christian Bale, isn't he? Who's basically right. the the body chameleon of films. Yeah, which is always... extremely unhealthy. It is. I, I'm pretty unhealthy. sure he got gout shortly after doing Vice. I don't know if yes. how he is now, but. It was quite Jared serious. Leto also got gout. Yes, he did. Yeah, for the, a film. The John Lennon film that no one saw. Yeah. Which is even more <laughs> of a letdown, really, isn't it? Because yeah. if, you know, people went to see Vice, it got like eight Academy Award nominations and it right. won something. But when your film goes practically unseen by the general public, that's just... Yeah. You, you're going to feel quite sad. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think essentially Rob Patterson's argument was just like against like excessive need to stay in stay in shape for films. Mm. Like I don't know, but yeah. So that's like the latest film news. Well, we we literally just saw the um, the new Spike Lee trailer before recording this episode for the Five Bloods, which is coming out pretty soon. I don't want to get um, excited too quickly because right, trailers exactly. can be deceptive. You know. That's true. That's true. And, um, but I do. I trust Spike Lee. Obviously, is a very, very good writer director. He's he knows yeah. what he's doing. He has a lot of experience. But you know, I'll wait yeah. till I see it. I don't want to make any assumptions. Right. Well, well, maybe we'll we'll talk about it on the podcast because it is coming out quite soon. So yeah, that'll be good. Maybe, maybe not. But um, maybe. yeah, let's get on to our yes. our two films of the day. Um, so our first film of the day is Honey Boy. Yes, which came out this year last year last, i think last year yes 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 last year because it was around award season yeah yeah, yeah. um it is a well what, what, what you, you you do the intro well it's <laughs> a um so i'd describe it as a semi-autobiographical film about shia right. labeouf's childhood and it's told in two separate timelines basically of him as a very young boy and him as a slightly as a young man, basically. Right. And it intercuts right. between these two timelines to show his, you know, his development through yeah. youth and his relationship with his father, who in the film is played by Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> and it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting film. You sent me an interesting article to read about the film. Right. The, the IndieWire one. Yeah. Uh, about the editing. I wanted to touch upon the editing at some mm. point, but um, yeah. So just off the bat, so I, I've watched this film two times. This is the second time I watched it. The first time I watched it was in in the middle of a weird triple bill, unintentional triple bill, of uh, in in this order: Knives Out, Robots, and Honey Boy. So <laughs> maybe not the best circumstance, but uh, I don't yeah, know. Those I, I, those are solid. I would say. <laughs> yeah. I I unironically random. like robots. <laughs> Oh yeah, robots is great. Yeah, robots is fun. That's a good. It's like going back to Greg Kinnear on the previous episode. That's oh a, yeah, that's a good Greg Kinnear oh, gem. What a callback. <laughs> no, I, yeah, yeah, it's um, a good film. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> se- se- second time I watched this, I-, I liked it way more than when I watched it the first time. The first time it was around like a three to four stars, and your camera's disappeared. Oh, you- you're back. It's very weird. Your camera like blinks, and it gives me like a mini heart attack. <laughs> The folks at home uh, won't know, don't worry. I know, I'm just hoping I, there's no technical issues. It's okay, I'm still recording, so we're fine. Perfect. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so second time, I, I, I recommend giving this a second watch, because it does mm. get way better. This is your first time watching it, and what was your, what was your first impressions? Um, I, I liked it. I think, um, I think the context of the film is important to consider, because it's basically being right. advertised as this... Like, you know, this, it's a form of therapy, basically, for him, Very this much, film. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, him basically trying to find closure with the relationship he had with his father. Because he had quite a troubled 
childhood, yeah. wasn't he? He went through a lot of abuse and such and just such. Just general childhood trauma. Just which, general childhood like, trauma, yeah. And I'd say that's the main theme of the film. And it's... That uh, and alcoholism. And from that point of view, it is good. I think it is, you know, it's healthy to make films like that and it is quite interesting and um, like I said before the article you sent me about it was about the sort of post-production of the film and how in the editing room they found out that some shots would cut together better than they had expected in in the way that they weren't As planning. like non-linear right? Yeah 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 and, it, and it's yeah. interesting I like films that sort of grow organically like that that change over time I think that's quite nice um, right. I, I didn't just, yeah huh? sorry no, Sorry, was, go ahead. No, I was, uh, yeah, so I like it from that point of view. Um, I, I can't say I loved the film, but again, maybe I need to watch it a second time because I think I was, I was a bit underwhelmed. I think it's a well-written film for the most part and well-performed, but I don't think the direction was very inspired, really. I thought... How, how so? I don't know. Visually, it wasn't that interesting. A lot of it was like just just generic sort of handheld shot reverse shot sort of thing like it it didn't have a very unique visual style i think and like the soundtrack wasn't i wasn't too interested and i like i don't know i think it was good but not amazing it wasn't like elevated i think and another thing about okay. it is that i think like this is a film about trying to show you Shia LaBeouf's trauma as a child basically and the trouble mm-hmm. he had growing up and eventually at the end of the film you meant to feel the catharsis he felt you know coming to terms with it and I didn't get that catharsis I think so the film okay. didn't quite touch me on a personal level and also just some directorial choices I just didn't th- think were that great like in the um so like yeah, I said so before without spoiling yeah I- I'm not going to spoil anything I'm just uh so there are two timelines in the film mm-hmm. that it follows. There's one with young Shia LaBeouf, played by Noah Dupe, I believe. And yeah. the other one, like I said, where he's a young man, played by Lucas Hedges. And in the Lucas Hedges one, you get the impression that, yeah, he's this sort of troubled character. And there there are some scenes where they play the scene out and then it ends with him waking up in like a cold sweat. And it did this, like, two or three times. And I think that in itself is kind of a cliche to begin with. But the fact that they did it, like, two or three times, it just felt like it was halting the story a bit. And I thought, like, yeah, I get it. He's troubled. Progress the story now. I don't know. That's just how I felt about it. We we seem to be quite split down the middle in this thing. Because a lot of the, like, especially with the cinematography, Mm. I like, I quite like. So um, I don't think it's bad. I just thought it was underwhelming i think right and then going back to what we were saying about the edit mm. i i'm kind of like not sure how to touch upon the editing because i'm worried that the pre-knowledge that we had of the edit of the edit kind of ru- may ruin how you watch it so when i and maybe even talking about it does the same but mm. when i first watched it i knew that it was a linear script and then in the edit they decided to, you know, go back and forth between the, the young and old timelines and basically rejig the film around. Yeah. And through I think through subconsciously knowing that it may look more messy on a first watch. When I watched it the second time I thought it worked quite well. Um especially with some of the meta elements which may or may not work for you, but like for instance, uh so in the film he's called Otis because it's his semi autobiographical, so it's not just full on Shire but Otis's character when he's in rehab is writing a, a, a film funnily enough which is essentially Honey Boy um, and he's he's writing scenes with his dad and then literally right after that that scene will happen with young Otis mm. um, I lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so I I, don't, I I can't see it being a linear story I would I be fascinated to see a cut of it where it is just one timeline, then the next timeline, yeah. you know, sort of without I, the I, intercutting. I would be fascinated to see if it's better or if it's worse because it would it change didn't it seem quite like a it lot. It was meant to be like, huh? yeah, because it, 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 it did, yeah, because yeah. I think so. The the sort of like the the way it is, the cutting back and forth between the two timelines. I think it does work in one sense that it makes the film more dynamic and interesting and mm-hmm. the other sense that you sort of get the emotional journey of 
both timelines sort of simultaneously, in a way. Right. But I I don't know. It, I think it I would favors, be very it favors young the young timeline a bit more. I'd say a little bit more. I was a bit more invested in the young timeline, um, right? Than I was in the old timeline. Hmm. Because it just um, seemed a bit more distilled in focusing on the relationship between him and his father, I think. And I think right. Shia LaBeouf being present in that timeline as his father helped a lot with that. It's, it's so eerie to watch, because <laughs> imagine being him playing out that scene, mm. or those scenes where his father is essentially abusive and they just have this tumultuous relationship. Like, on the second watch for <laughs> me, like... There's scenes where Noah Dupe and Shire are having an argument and are at each other's necks, and it's like generally cows you on edge, especially <laughs> if you know what's about to happen in certain scenes. But yeah, yeah. What did, what did you think of Shire's performance in this? Uh, I thought it was very good. I thought he gave a good performance. I think he's a good actor when he's right. given a good script. And I obviously he wrote this film. Um, did he write it or co-write it? Yeah, yeah he he wrote it. He wrote yeah. it. Yeah. No, I think it was a very good performance. He got the accent quite well down I think it was, right. it was well we should hope so anyway if it is, is, I, just, is, is yeah there. sure I haven't heard what his dad sounds like but yeah. well yeah no I, I don't know what his dad was like either but I it was a convincing performance I think whether it was right. accurate or not it was convincing I felt like he yeah, was this much. person and the emotions he had in it were convincing I yeah I liked it it was it was one of the strongest parts of the film I think that and Noah Dupe's performance definitely what, what did you think of Lucas Hedges he was also good. He was also very good. Like I said before, I was a bit less invested in his timeline. And I think the whole, like I said before, the waking up in a cold sweat several times cliche right. put me off a bit. But I think, yeah, he's he's a very, very good actor. I've seen him in a few films now, like Moonrise Kingdom, Manchester by right. the Sea. He's yeah. very, very talented. There's, there's very, like, there's moments where he, his voice just sounds exactly like Shire's. Like, there's a scene oh, yeah? where he's... He's like trying to intimidate Martin Starr um, in in a, like a, not a therapy session but a counselling mm. similar to that, and his his voice sounds exactly like Shire for a moment. Um, going back to the cinematography, so the cinematographer for this is Natasha Breyer, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, and she did Neon Demon, and um, this film was shot in 19 days, so that would have been a fairly hectic shoot. Shoot, I can imagine. <laughs> um, with the editing. I, first time I watched it, I couldn't help but think it was very Terence Malicky. Um, some and, some scenes, yeah, a little bit. Right, right. Um, and again, I don't know if like having a pre knowledge of the post production for that film like ruins the film or not. So I'm sorry if if it has <laughs> for you listeners out there, but it hasn't ruined it for me. I'll tell you that. I mean, but you but you saw that you read, saw the thing after, right? The what. The article that oh. he's in talking yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, it. yeah, but, yeah. It yeah, would be I mean, interesting watching this a second time. I don't know if I would rush into doing it, but right, like it's it's interesting that you had a similar opinion to me upon first watch, and this was yeah. my first watch. So, I don't know. It, it would be interesting to to see what I think, I think afterwards. Yeah, um, we say this word on the podcast a lot, but the the first time watching it, it comes across as a messy film. Mm. But second time watching it, you know the the stuff with the timelines makes more sense. I couldn't I couldn't see it in a linear format really, um, with with the knowledge of how the two timelines like play in, play into each other, um, and yeah, I just and even the bits that are messy, they kind of need to be because you know his life at the time was messy, or at least what is shown. Mm. What um, did you think of the ending? Uh, without going into it too much, I think it's. Mm. See, you can argue what Lucas Hedges says is a bit wanky, considering it's like <laughs> very meta. But I, I really like it. I, li- I like the fact that, you know. So basically, and this isn't a spoiler. This is just plot knowledge and just like s- stuff outside of the film. That the reason why the film is made. So, Shia LaBeouf. Um, had a lot of issues with alcohol and he got arrested and he would get arrested a lot. And at one point in his life, he had to go into rehab and he got diagnosed with PTSD. And through that, he wrote this film within rehab. And 
so the scenes where the character of Otis is in a, a rehab facility and is writing the film is very much like what Shai was doing at the time. Mm. So, you know, when there's scenes where Lucas Hedges is writing the next scene, it's, it's yeah. I, I really like the meta elements personally, and especially with Shire playing his dad, because originally, so they, they had to get his dad to sign, n- not life rights, I think, but maybe life rights, something similar to that, to, you know, agree to have your likeness be used in this film. Yeah. So Shire went to him, and originally they were going to cast Mel Gibson <laughs> as Shire's dad, and Shire's dad signed the contract with that knowledge, and then Shire changed his mind. Oh, no, Omar Harrell, the director who did this, um, convinced Shire to play his own dad um, so yeah I, d- I don't know how it would be with Mel Gibson I think I mean Mel Gibson's a good actor to discard his real life stuff yes but, <laughs> yeah um, I, I just I really like most of the the meta elements within this film um, mm. so this is Alma Harrell's first narrative feature she has mainly done documentaries such as yes, Bombay Beach yeah. um, and in general after this film I'm very much looking forward to both Shire and Alma's next projects, what they have to do next, what they're going to do next. So, be it, you know, documentary or uh, narrative. Um, Shire has written a, not a biopic, but a, a, a film called Minor Modifications, which is, I think, on the blacklist at the moment, uh, about uh, Kevin Abstract, who is a rapper from the group Brockhampton, about his life, and Alma Harrell has tweeted online that she would like to see Kevin Abstract direct that. So I think she's quite interested in having the the the, the real people that are in the film go through the stuff again. So mm. again, having Kevin Abstract direct his own film or having Shia play his own dad. It's just, it's just something that's very interesting and I would like to see more of. It's similar to what the Safdie brothers do where they have real life people yeah. basically either play themselves or versions of themselves. Um, with the script, what did you think of the dialogue? Um. Yeah, I thought the dialogue was decent for. Like I said, this I don't. It the film didn't leave a huge impression on me, so I okay. I don't remember too much about the dialogue. Do you? What specifically are you? It's just there's there's moments I like I like the script. There there are moments that seem heavily stylized, or if if it is just, you know, it's just Shire at that moment and not necessarily the character. So. Mm. Towards the end, when he's like monologuing about fables and stories and all that stuff, uh, personally, kind of takes me out the film for a, for a second. Yeah, I think the the I moments like, where yeah. in the Noah Dupe timeline where he's um, where it's him and he's talking to his dad, I thought those were quite well written. Oh yeah, yeah. They're, they're, there's moments that really like pack a punch, and that's like for instance, so Noah Dupe as young Shire is talking about how his dad wouldn't be there unless. Mm. he paid him to and that he's essentially a chauffeur and mm. and shy is like how would you feel how how do you think it feels having my son paying me and it's just some there's some really brutal scenes and also a to, moment to watch. in the film i really liked was when no dupes on the phone to his mum i think and he's yes. arguing and for he has his mum the mediator yeah he's oh. he's in between i that was probably my favorite scene in the film because it was quite a but, creative yeah. way to do an argument and it is it builds tension quite well and it is also quite funny so I think it works yeah. on a number of levels. It's a good mix, because that scene starts off as a very, like, soft, subtle scene, and then just turns yeah. into something so raw and intense. And it's, yeah, um, I, I really yeah. like that scene. Um, fun fact, so the person that's playing Shire's uh, mum uh, in that phone call is Natasha Leone from Orange is the New Black and Russian Doll. And this is her second phone call cameo, because uh, she's also a phone voice in Uncut Gems. <laughs> And, you like uh, your uncut gems, a... don't you? No, no, she's, <laughs> as in like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just saying since she's done two voice cameos within the year and then she also cameoed in um, Ad Astra. She's one of, you know, when they go to space and there's like like uh, post offices in space, she's yes. one of the people running that. Oh. So she had, a, she had a good cameo year, <laughs> Natasha Lyonne. Um, funny enough, if you want to hear some more stuff about this film and how it was made and what got into it, the, what went into it there is there is actually a Honey Boy podcast it's a five part podcast with all the cast cast uh, and crew members and they get a lot of guests on they get David Lowry on mm. um, yeah I just 
I, it, it's a very raw and emotional film, and uh, our, our house, my housemate Heidi um, said a very interesting thing where it, essentially she said it was an art film that felt like it needed to be made. Yeah, there, there was a certain necessity behind it, like I said before, because it was, you know, it's like it said, it's basically therapy, so... Yeah. That, yeah, it's. I'm glad it was made. I don't think it reached its full potential, but I did like it as a film. Okay. Do do you think it it works for audience members that don't have like an invested interest in Shia LaBeouf or I, have have been a fan of him before? I don't think it'll work quite as well. You know, okay. I I think with I think having that prior context will help elevate the film a lot. I think on its own in okay. isolation, it's good, but not amazing. But if you because I know you're quite a big fan of Shia LaBeouf. Oh, so, I love him. Yeah. I love him. It's yeah. <laughs> and I think that does help a lot to elevate the film. So. Right. Yeah, um, but I th- I think ooh. no matter what, you'll still get some level of enjoyment out of it because it is it's right. it's well written for the most part and the performances are really really good. Real real quick with the performances, let's again talk about how great Noah Jupe is he in is. terms of a child <laughs> performance as well because there are. He's so there charming. Are some really I emotional, think. intense yeah. scenes. In, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and there's just some scenes where he has to, you know, shout back, and he's getting shouted at, and mm. it's it's a lot for that age. And um, something I realized on a second watch is there's a lot of scenes where he's sucking his fingers, and I was wondering why. <laughs> I didn't notice and, that. <laughs> anyway, but no, this. But I realize it's because he's smoking cigarettes down to his fingertips, and his fingertips hurt, and he doesn't know how to smoke properly. And it's quite a that's an interesting little sad detail. thing to realize. <laughs> yeah, See, that that's another know, his, benefit his of giving it a giving second watch. Cigarettes and yeah, yeah definitely. But yeah. he he is a very good child actor. He's got a very charming, charismatic presence. I think, which is yeah. hard to do at that age. Like I don't know what yeah. I was doing at that age. <laughs> <laughs> he he's um he's also in a uh, Ford v Ferrari or Le Mans sixty six wherever 66, you are. But... Yeah. Um, and he's in A Quiet Place, he's in that as well. Um, yes. What did... So, I'm still... Even on a second watch, I'm still a bit iffy about this subplot, but what did you think of the FKA Twigs subplot? So, uh, she's the person that plays Shy Girl, and without getting into it, the stuff that they insinuate with her character in Noah Jupe is a bit confusing and a bit iffy, and I don't necessarily know what they're trying to say with it. I think... It, so that purpose was the purpose of that part of the film was for I think to provide an escape for Noah Dupe's character you know because right. a lot of it is you're focusing on his toxic relationship with his father and I think it's sort of like a moment for the character to breathe in a way sort okay. of to find someone else who he actually likes being with you know because right, I, I thought it was in, insinuating something a bit darker for for a bit, but they don't actually. What did you think you it know, was insinuating? You know that he had oh. someone who's like kind of grooming him a bit. Um, you could read it like that as well, but I think because it's told from the perspective of Dupe's character, there is a kind right. of innocence about yeah. it. I think I I don't know. I think it can be uh, construed as as that, but for me anyway, it was kind of seen as more of like a relaxing moment in the film. I okay. think like a break from the hostility between him and his dad. Right. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That's fair. Um, yeah, I'd, well, so we're <laughs> split down the middle of it, but I'd, it's definitely worth the watch. I'd, I'd still recommend it. I would, I'd recommend yeah. this film. Not, maybe not as highly as you, but I'd, I'd recommend it <laughs> to people because it is, it's a necessary film for Shia LaBeouf, I think. Um, right. And yeah, I think it's good. <laughs> it's the poster. I think it's good. I think it's good. <laughs> um, I'm just I'm just seeing it there if there's any pointers. Uh, I, I, I don't know whether or not my pointers that I've written down have come up naturally or not. So if it sounds like I've just like pushed my voice onto I mean, them, I'm, I'm glad you've done <laughs> research on it because I, I usually just come into these just improvising. <laughs> That's fair. Just come and what I... Yeah, that's that's our thing, eh? Well, <laughs> well, not our thing. We we've been involved with it. So, we're recording this episode a little earlier because our, our housemate Jack does uh, Zoom improv within this room. It's the internet. It's the room with the best internet and sound. Yeah. So, yeah. So you know, if you're if 
you want to do some Zoom improv, go on the BU Improvisation Society on Facebook, join that. So it's a lot of fun. Um, and when you're on Zoom, it looks like you're in the Brady Bunch. So <laughs> it does actually. Highly yeah. recommend that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I never thought of it yeah, that way. So as a quick wrap up for Honey Boy, I think it's a very raw and emotional film about childhood trauma and alcoholism. And I, it, I'd recommend it if you're a Shire fan, but if you're, you know, wanting to know more about that sort of thing, definitely give it a watch. As to, in terms of where to find it, uh, so in America it's an Amazon original, but it's not on Amazon Prime here. So you will have to rent it. And we are trying to uh, find films that are more accessible, but I, I would recommend um, paying the... Well, how much was it for you? Uh, for me, I think it was about a fiver on YouTube. Right. Um, and would, would you recommend audiences rent this? Yes. Cool. I think so. Is there anything you want to if say? You're, if you're willing before? to spend a fiver, then I would recommend this film. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's, like that's you said, it, I, think, <laughs> I think it's it's good that we're both talking about it because you represent the audience that really is invested in Shia LaBeouf and I represent the one who's not so much but is open to learn more. And I think it does appeal to both of those audiences or it can appeal to both of those audiences. Yeah. So I, I'm repeating myself here, but... <laughs> that's fine. That's uh, yeah, I, I, I would recommend this film. Have we found a film that we're... Yeah. Have we have we found a film that we've like completely butted heads at? Because we usually we usually don't. <laughs> I think we came close when we talked about nineteen seventeen in the okay. in the pilot. Uh, that was probably That's the closest true. we've come. But I think even then we both. <laughs> I mean, I really liked it. I think did did you like it? But just think it was overrated. I, I or like did it. You? I just thought yeah. in terms of yeah, it was just a little overrated. But a bit, maybe no. a little bit yeah. But I think if that's... you ever want to hear people mildly agree about stuff. <laughs> This is the podcast for you. I'm trying to think what else. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if we've really dis- had a not major disagreement. Not that we necessarily need to. It's no, just... no, <laughs> no. And, you know, this kind of works as a segue, but here's a film we don't disagree about. <laughs> if Bill Street could talk, uh, that was my impression. So, uh, I, I absolutely oh, hate okay. this film, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Is that right? <laughs> Uh, it's it's um, interesting. There's another connection. These are both films that have split timelines. Yes, this is true. That's our connection um, for this week. For those of you saying would, we don't have a just... theme, <laughs> <laughs> our theme is films, guys. Um, how would how would you describe the plot of this film? Uh, so it takes place in Harlem, America, in the 1970s, and it follows the relationship between a young black couple and. One half of the couple, uh, Alonzo, played by, remind me what the Stephen James. Stephen James, yes, uh, he's accused of a crime that he didn't commit, which was raping a Puerto Rican woman, I believe. Right. Yeah. And going on the run, and yeah, he's accused by a white police officer of raping her. Right. And the whole thing, despite not being in the same look. Like, exactly. Even, yeah. And the film is basically just following his trial, basically, with occasional flashbacks to him and his girlfriend falling in right. love. I, and... I, I, it was not just necessarily about him, it's about um, uh, Tish and, and Alfonso, their love story. Yes. Uh, the beginning, like, how it came Alfonso, about, sorry, then... I said Alonso, I think. Uh, Alfonso, okay. yes. <laughs> it's alright. He's mainly called Funny throughout the, Fonny, the yeah, entirety his of the film. As like a, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, but I, it's I suppose, essentially... Yeah. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, so, uh, I was going to pick up on what you said. The wider theme of the film, I guess, is about the uh, racial tension in America, how right. it was very strong back then and is still quite strong yes. now. Because this film, you know, it takes place in the 1970s, but is still very relevant to today's climate, I think. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is based on a James Baldwin book called of the same name, I believe. Yeah. Um, and... Written directed by Barry Jenkins. Barry Jenkins, sorry. Barry Jenkins. Barry Barry Jenkins. Uh, What is wrong with me? (laughs) Barry Jenkins. This is his second feature film. Yeah. Third. Oh, third, sorry. After Melancholy for... Medicine for Melancholy. Medicine for Melancholy, yes. This is his third feature. Which I really want to see because that film, just from the trailer, is is very indie. And you can tell it's indie because indie trailers aren't edited well or they look a bit... (laughs) rusty so i definitely want to go back and see i that. just but, he's um, he's so he's such a great 
filmmaker, he is. isn't it? I saw a review of If Beale Street Could Talk by a cast of Runquest, which said that hey. if Barry Jenkins <laughs> could out. film himself taking a shit, and it would still be one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And I think he's... It would be. He's right. Be. He's absolutely right. It, <laughs> it's such a beautifully made film, I think. It's, so, oh, it's, it's, very, it's such a beautiful film. It's very well, well written, first of all. I think because although it does have the wider theme of racial tension it doesn't feel like it's forcing it on you it doesn't come across as preachy because you are just essentially following these characters right in the sense yeah. that it's kind of like fruitvale station in a way that it's sort of just like following the natural lives right. of these characters and then which then makes the tragedies like yeah ten, like and they're very yeah, naturally tenfold. integrated into the plot i think and yeah. yeah and i think it does the sort of split timeline storytelling really well I, think. I, did, I didn't really intend this theme at all. I, I'm surprised. <laughs> I realised it before the podcast and I thought, hey, I'll mention that. <laughs> nice, nice. But I think, no, it does the split timeline storytelling really well, I think. Um, because you, you don't necessarily learn new information about the characters in the timeline, but it does, with the timeline jumps, the emotional connection between them grows, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's... It's very well done, I think. Because yeah. it's like there's one scene where... So in the first timeline, you see that he's in jail or, you know, mm -hmm. on parole or whatever. Not on parole, but on... What's it called? When waiting you're not, for his trial. Wa wa waiting for his trial, yeah. He's, he's not quite in prison yet, but he basically is. And right. already it's quite harrowing. But then they cut to the mm -hmm. previous timeline. This is a minor spoiler, but he's with his friend who's also been in prison and he right. tells us he has this long like, yeah. beautiful monologue <laughs> about how hard it was and just how I was I was you know, I've got Brian Tyree Henry as a, as a note down here because yeah. his his one his, scene he, he, his one scene his monologue is just the most haunting it is great performance it's so good and it's it works and this is like I said about the sort of split timeline because then once you've heard that monologue you see Alfonso in prison and you get that sort of elevated dread that you yeah, feel and that's I think it helps and that's why the film's also a good rewatch I think because once you combine all the elements of the film into one whole you realize it on the second on the rewatch and right, it makes it right. that much more harrowing I think as a film definitely so um I just wanted to read out the quote that this opens up with because mm. I think it's a very nice quote and it kind of it fits the film very well. So it, uh, there's, it, the film opens up with a quote from James Baldwin saying, Bill Street is a street in New Orleans where my father, where Louis Armstrong and the jazz were born. Every black person born on Bill Street, born in the black neighborhood of some American city, whether in Jackson, Mississippi, or in Harlem, New York, Bill Street is our legacy. This novel deals with the impossibility and the possibility, the absolute necessity to give expression to this legacy. Bill Street is a loud street, is left to the reader to discern a meaning in the beating of the drums, mm. and I just and the reason why it's called Bill Street, I I, I saw that it was a title. Uh, the, the title is a reference to the nineteen sixteen W. C. Handy blues song Bill Street Blues, named after Bill Street in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. But yeah, I th I sim. I mean, we were talking about this with Little Women, where you like the worries of whether or not you have to know the, the source material going into it. I don't necessarily think you need to read the book for this film to I, work. Absolutely not. Because it captures, like, at least the intended essence of the book. Oh, yeah. Very well. And even if it it just builds such it a It plays rich, like a novel. It builds <laughs> this really rich atmosphere in the film, I think. That's because all right. the elements of the film come together so well. Like, the dialogue, some of the monologues, especially at the beginning with the two so families good. arguing, it's like Shakespearean, the dialogue, yeah. isn't it? And, then, and, and not necessarily in a bad way no no I, just I saw... it's beautiful and eloquent yeah. and just it's very cathartic as well i think it's definitely you yeah. feel the pain and then the release that the characters have and i think also just everything the cinematography the direction and obviously the, the performances by all the actors and i think my favorite element of this film is the score i've got i've got the Nic score Nic down yeah nicholas well. Bratel's score i think he's yeah oh, so good the score is Definitely, like all the elements of this film are great, but the score is definitely my favorite, and it's just oh, it stuck with me because I saw this film for the first time like a year ago, I think, or a year and a half right. ago. Now we saw, well, we it. saw it. We saw right. it in the cinema together about 
back in January. It was January last year, screen unseen, a year and a half ago. Yeah, and yeah. the score stuck with me for all that time. It's such a good score. It is. And Nicholas Bratel is probably one of the best composers at the moment. Mm. I'm, I, I like. Ludwig did great stuff in the Black Panther score, but I, I don't think oh, he yeah, should have won. That won the Oscar that year, yeah. Nicholas Bratel should have won. And yeah, I, I think... initially wanted Nicholas Bratel to win, but there, there was a good point for Black Panther winning. But it's right. Yeah. I think not necessarily for all films, but a good sign of a good score is, well, like if the score works really well on its own and mm. works within the film as well. Yes, I completely agree. The amount agree. of times I've listened to this album yeah. just on a walk or on the bus, I want oh, to own this album. Like, it's like so <laughs> it's such a good score. This year at the Oscars, it was Joker that won Best Original Score. And I get it. it was, right. It's a good score, but I would have chosen Marriage Story because, again, that was more yeah, memorable the con- for me. Yeah, I think listening to those scores outside the context of the film would yeah. work. Um, I mean, Marriage Story definitely does, but it anyway, does, yeah. Like, sorry, it's a little the, side the tangent. It's just beautiful, <laughs> yes. And it, you know, the reprises that it brings back are, mm. are just so they're so eloquently done, yeah. And you know, it can be really romantic and poetic at some points, and it can be really harrowing, especially during Bar- Bar- Brian Tyree Henry's monologue, mm. where it just kind of rumbles, yeah. Um, it's just a great score. I one hundred percent recommend, like. I, uh, just downloading it on Spotify and saving yeah. it. I'm sure um, most of the population of the earth has already done it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, just, it's so he's good. He's just a great composer. Yes. Even with like, for, so his score for the King is great. It, I've the bits that I've heard for Vice are good. Even his Moonlight score is great. But like, yeah. if Bill Street could talk, it's, it's his like, most memorable. I think from the ones I've heard. Level. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do need to rewatch Moonlight at some point because it's been. Nearly two years, or over two years also since I've seen it. Also a very beautiful watch. Yes. Even on I'd rewatch highly especially. It. I think between the two... Like, I can't compare the two films at the moment because it's right, been no, too long no, yeah. since I've seen them. But uh, in terms of uh, the score, I would say Beale Street is a little more memorable for me. And it's Definitely, hit, yeah. hit home. It's really fantastic. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Like songs like Agape and Eros and yeah. just all of them. Yeah. Um, going back to the cinematography, the cinematographer for this is James Laxton. And um, I think on a rewatch, so we talked about Wong Kar Wai's influence on Barry Jenkins in our Chunking Express episode. Mm. And I, I noticed it way more on a second rewatch where, where he'd have his, uh, where Barry Jenkins and James Laxton would have the camera movements be rather floaty. So for instance, when, is uh, uh, Tish and 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 Alfonso when Alfonso having their like flashback scenes when they're growing up as kids the camera's very floaty and in the corner, and it very much reminded me of something like Chunking Express or Fallen Angels, mm. um, and and uh, as another side note to the cinematography, I I found a great quote from Paul Thomas Anderson because um, he did a list of his favorite films and he put Moonlight and uh, If Bill Street Could Talk on the same. Same number, and he he said to Barry Jenkins, this is the quote, "Uh, I'm very jealous of your close-ups. There's a long line of people who have really tried to do Jonathan Demme close-ups, and I try all the time, but I have to say, you got it right better than anybody. I'm like, how is he doing that? I've tried so hard. I suppose it has to do with the right faces, but it has to do do a little more than that. And he's he's referring to when actors look into the camera, I think, isn't he? Because that's what Jonathan Demme was known for, and yeah, Jenkins is known for that. it's done so well within this film where, you know, they're looking straight down the barrel of the lens, but it doesn't take you out of the film. It feels like they're looking at each other and yeah, yeah, it's, it's just done so well. I I love the close-ups in this. Just another point to make going back to the, um, the way the film is structured and it intercuts back and forth between the flashbacks and real time. I really like how it lingers on the flashbacks for a really long time. Cause there's a scene where, uh, they're going out trying to find somewhere to live. And it's mm-hmm. this really just nice, happy, wholesome yeah. scene. And it lasts for quite a while. But then just before the scene ends, I was really happy. And then I thought, oh, no. You know what's about to happen. I know it's what just the next timeline is. Oh, fuck you, movie. <laughs> it's, it's done so Why'd well. Why'd you make um, me happy and then not? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really like that. It didn't feel the need to sort of rush the intercutting between scenes. It really took its time with each timeline and I, I really it really worked for me 
And you, you run the risk of having, with, with flashbacks, of just, you know, like, harping on too much. But it's mm. absolutely necessary for this film. Or they'll try and, like, cram exposition into flashbacks. Because that's usually right. what they're for, isn't it? A flashback. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like that. It's just an extension of the story, basically. And it, it yeah. works so, so well. I'm really looking forward to see what Barrett Jenkins has next. I think he's got... Uh, he's got a TV show next. And he's got a couple of films th- that he's co-written, I think. Yeah, so that, he... Yeah. He, yeah, he wrote uh, the original draft and story for a film yeah. called Charm City Kings, mm-hmm. which then went on through some other writers, but he still has a story credit. And um, Yes, and there's that's another a, that's film. A film coming out. Yeah. Uh, what was... Oh, I didn't know he had another one. There's another one. I looked it up. It's not got a release date yet, but he's a producer okay. on it, I think, and a writer... I'm not sure what it is. I, I, I'm just, I'm very looking forward to what he's, what he does. Yes. Um, Hopefully he continues to work with Nicholas Brattel and yes. Yeah. That's like a match made in heaven. Yes. Like, <laughs> because like, I like Nicholas Brattel's scores and stuff like the King, but like, yeah. when he's, when he's with Barry Jenkins, he's, they're sort oh, of, they're sort of codependent in a way, aren't they? Like yeah. they, they, they make each other stronger. Cause like you said, Brattel, his, uh, when he worked with other directors, he's good, but not quite at that level. And he's I not, think like he, they they work into they work with each other so well that yeah. he's like fully utilized. And then it works the and, other way around as well because if you imagine if Beale Street could talk without its score, it'd still be a really great drama. <laughs> but it, yeah, it wouldn't have that sort of atmospheric oomph to it. You know yeah. that elevation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so initially, because. I thought we were just going to fanboy over this, essentially, because we both <laughs> very much love the film. Yes. I thought I'd try and find some other reviews online that, you know, that more disagree with us. And it and mm. th- it didn't work, because one, there's not a lot of <laughs> negative reviews about no. this film, but in general, we'd just be like, well, I disagree with that. Like, <laughs> there's nothing that's going <laughs> to fully change my mind. But I, yeah. I saw a thing on Letterboxd where... Someone called the performances wooden, and I one hundred percent disagree with that mm. because if like even if you like some of the dialogue in this, if you perceive it as wooden, it's it's not necessarily in the sense that the film is meant to be rather poetic and like have the same feel of the novel, and characters don't necessarily speak naturalistic, but it's it doesn't feel you know out of tune. It it completely yeah. fits within the film. I don't think the performances are wooden at all, especially like. You've got like great performances in this from Brian Tyree Henry, but you know Regina King, her her performance in this film is is yeah. so good as the as as uh, um as T- Tesh's I keep saying Tesh Tish Tish is uh, mum and she just you know absolutely like yeah gets your attention on screen and the the power that she has on screen is great. I think one criticism because when we went to see it in the cinema, it was you, me, and a bunch of us and and a. Dickhead who wouldn't stop speaking behind me in the cinema. That's the sorry. <laughs> just, Whoa. It's the first. Where did that it's come the from? First time. It's the first time in a cinema where I've had to like tell them off. I've never. <laughs> I done don't it, remember it, that. It was at the all. last straw. I do like, not remember that. guy. So sorry to cut you off real quick. That's okay. Um, so screen unseen uh, is a thing at the Odeon where they give you a mystery film. Essentially, you pay five pounds, and it's a lot cheaper. And we had like an inkling that we knew it was if Bill Street could talk, but mm. uh, the They give out hints, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But other other audience members didn't and we we I just had this dick behind me just talking throughout the whole film, be like, oh shit, oh why would you do that? And I had to turn around and tell him to shut up. And it just ruined my experience. I honestly don't <laughs> I remember that. Edge. I really don't. <laughs> That's we were sat in different areas. Oh were we? Yeah. Oh, okay. But anyway, I, I, uh, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying that um, when we came out of the cinema, one of us, I think, criticised it for being too much just shot reverse shot, in terms of like its the, camera the movements. Close ups. <laughs> the close ups are great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it wasn't me. It was one of us. <laughs> right. Right. I, I, you know. Was it you? I don't see any <laughs> no, issues with the shot reverse shots. No. It's not. In, you know. It's a, it's, a, it's not by the numbers. It's a staple it, of it, cinema it, that kind of. You know. Right, but the way they go about it isn't by the numbers. No, you know, they... no, it works. Yeah, yeah, especially with those close-ups. Yeah. Um, it helps if you so... have a brilliant cinematographer. Yeah, <laughs> it's like like James Laxton. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, on a tangent, a, another set of directors who are known a lot for their shot reverse shot are the Coen Brothers, and they work with right. Roger Deakins a lot. Who obviously, you know, he could make anything look amazing. <laughs> 
Right. You know, yeah. as even a shot reverse shot. But yeah, um, I so yeah. I I just remembered because I've got the one car wide thing next to me. Um, so, it, I saw another similarity with this and in, in the mood for love in the sense of how Barry Jenkins captures the chemistry between them to, between the two. Mm. It has a lot of shots of them, you know, walking down the street together, similar to in the in the mood for love, where it's just them or yeah. they're on the train and there's like this unspoken chemistry between them. I think he he's very much got that from Wong Kar Wai and it's it, he does it very well. Mm. Um, we uh, with Regina King. If you want to see her in anything after this, uh, she's in the Watchmen series. And she's also directed an episode of the TV show This Is Us. So, if I'm just like, if you wanted to watch more Regina King stuff, um, mm. I'd go go down that Academy route. Award um, winner she, Regina yes, King. Yes, Academy. She won for this film. And she did rightfully so. Rightfully, it was so. the only thing that film got that year. And it, it was. I, th- I'm really surprised it didn't get a Best Picture nomination. You know. Yeah. Because what? It, huh? Yeah. What? What? What did get nominated? Oh, it wasn't a great year. To be honest, so well because you could replace a film. You, with, you with but talks. it's not even like you could replace them. But even then, there were only eight slots filled. You know, mm-hmm. usually mm. you'd have like maybe nine. They could have just added it in. Yeah, it's <laughs> but uh, it's other nominees that year. So you had Roma, the, and the mm-hmm. favorite were like the leading films. Uh, yeah. Well, most nominations. Black Clans. As in the ones you wanted to win. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I think most people did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Black Klansman, which is also very good. Uh, A Star is Born. Yep. Uh, Vice. Yep. Green Book, which was the winner. Yep. Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody and Black Panther were the... So you just take the, off Bohemian Rhapsody... And Green Book. Bill Street Could Talk. And, yeah. And maybe put in, like, First Man in there as well. I, I never you watched know? it, but... I did. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. It's really good. Really solid film. Maybe that's another one for a future podcast. Maybe. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Ryan Gosling's doing a film with Phil Lord and Chris Miller where he's going out to space again. And someone's like, hey, it's Second Man. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. No, I really... Um, I, I, I liked First Man. It was a really solid biopic Damien Chazelle right. is a good boy <laughs> we're, we're going off on our tangents <laughs> only for like a minute <laughs> it's okay um, we've 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 gushed I, I, on this I'm film tra- <laughs> yeah I'm trying to think what else there is to to say about it it's a, it's available on Amazon Prime yes that's something I could say we're not sure how so, long it'll be so get to it go and watch it, it it's <laughs> like I 100% recommend it yeah. and you know just yeah, watch Moonlight as yeah, well yeah yeah <laughs> like I just I'm just, looking forward Barry to what great. Barry Jenkins has next. I really am. Yeah, yeah. He's a fantastic filmmaker. Yeah. I, I'm kind of lost for what else. I feel like I'm gonna me. think of something just as we end the episode. It always and then, happens. And I, then every time I in press a week's like, time, I'll be like, yeah. uh, Bill Street is. Uh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I I'm the same. I like I always forget something. <laughs> And then yeah. like, I'm worried that if I'm trying to mention something, I'm just like cramming yeah. it in and not like, you know, letting you speak or something. No, I, um, I had a few mental notes, uh, all of which I've covered basically, I, you know, about the score and the right. narrative structure is mostly what I wanted to talk about with the film. Do you yeah. have a favourite song off the score? Or? I, I, I don't know them by I'm name. Quickly, but... I'm quickly searching this up now. Just to see. <laughs> I remember Eros and I remember uh, Agape and... Are like okay? I'm back on there now. Uh, e- e- Eden is a great song. I don't have a favorite. I I love yeah. it as a cohesive whole. It's right. lovely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um. I yeah. With the Moonlight score, that's kind of you know a mix of classical and modern towards the end when his character grows up. So, I yeah. I mean, I recommend watching that and listening to that too. But yeah, yeah if if Bill Street can talk is like the the culmination of Nick- Nicholas Bratel good stuff. Yes. <laughs> it's hard for him to top this score, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, 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 I'm going to check what he's got next. Why not? we got time. Bratel. I, th- I did look. It's just those two films I could see at the moment. Those. Oh, yeah. I know he did Succession, which is the two oh, did series. Oh, Yeah. He did I the didn't theme know that. song. Oh, nice. Uh, let me... I'm just on IMDb real quick. Oh, sorry. Nicholas Patel. I thought we were talking about Barry Jenkins. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, he's he's mainly doing this uh, succession at the moment, and he's yeah. got a film in pre-production called Carmen, which I don't know a lot about. He did, yeah, he did like he did Battle of the Sexes. He did if, if Bill Street could talk. He did Vice, The King. Uh, I didn't know he did Vice before this podcast. Yeah, that's really yeah, we, interesting. He, this that'll be the second time he's worked with Adam McKay now. Um, what was his first time? Oh, he did. He, he did. He did the Big Short as well. Apparently. So wait, what was the other? Adam McKay. Uh, well, The Big Short, Vice, Vice. and Succession. Ah. Succession. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, I know. Yeah. That's cool. Nice. I've I've got nothing else to say really. Like if if you want just great performances, great score, great cinematography, just all round greatness. <laughs> Watch if Bill Street could talk. Yeah. If Bill Street could talk, it say watch this film. Yes. I'll be here all week and every week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Is there anything you wanted to say? Uh, I'll come to, to your house. I'll watch or... it with you. Is is great. I'll, once I'll once we're out of lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. No. I'll, I'll come to your house anyway. Just... You're gonna risk it. Yeah. <laughs> so you were, you were saying your 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 mum listened to the last episode. Uh, she listened to about 15 minutes of it, so just, like, the introduction. <laughs> I think and that's the same I think with most listeners. <laughs> a, few things, <laughs> a few things we said about Little Miss Sunshine. And, yeah, she liked it. She was, she yeah. was a fan. Does yeah, she want to come on the podcast? She does, yeah. We're not sure what we'd talk about yet, but she would like to come on. She said I sound very posh, and... <laughs> it's a, you're bound to if you, you know... From sorrows. You just get a... You could, you can't, can't help but sound wanky about, about films sometimes. There's, it's really hard to talk about films without sounding pretentious i don't know how oh, to yeah. uh good film <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i think no i just the way my, around that yeah. is just be like it's great <laughs> my mum just said that my ac- my accent is posh because you know sorry background okay. <laughs> big up sorry no um, don't big up sorry <laughs> you don't need to <laughs> right let's it's like big saying up, big up white people you don't oh, need to. I'm, I'm sorry. All right. Fine. It's, fine. No, I'm joking. It's fine. If you're at this point in the podcast, listeners, I'm very thankful. And just thank you for listening so far. Yeah, thank you. Know, you. We, we appreciate all the listeners we can episode. get. This episode. Yes. Yeah. And I'm having a great time with it. I, I, lo- I love just chatting about films with my mate and having people listen. Um, it's a yeah. It's um, a lot of fun. It's nice. I... <laughs> I don't know if I should check these in general because they're kind of they make you paranoid. But we we've been given stats as uh, as to what our audience is at the moment. So we got eighty one percent of the audience are male, and nineteen percent of the audience are female. Um, we have we haven't had a th- female guest on yet. So <laughs> funnily enough, we do next. We episode. do next week. Yes. We got Heidi Heidi on the show to talk about some films, and yes. I one hundred percent recommend tuning in. Yes. Um, We've also got uh, 3% of our audience are 45 to 59 years old. And I want to say thank you for taking your precious time to listening to two, two 21-year-olds who probably don't know what they're talking about to yeah. just waffle all about films. In I, the I really sea of it. podcasts that are very similar to ours. <laughs> no, we've got a good gap in the market. No, we no absolutely don't. <laughs> two white boys in their 20s talking about films. Yeah, but we we do it we do it good. <laughs> yeah, but we're good. We're different. We're good. Um, <laughs> no, we well, honestly though we appreciate all the listeners we can get. This is yeah. This is very nice. We hope to get more. Yeah. Um. So, like I said, we're available on those pl- platforms that we previously mentioned: Spotify, Google Podcasts. It like even some I wasn't you know even available like aware. I mean of mm. that they existed. I'm losing my my will to speak. <laughs> I find that do, doing these, like, I get knackered very easily because on FaceTime, you're speaking louder than you usually are in order to get the person to hear you. Yeah, well, I've got so, headphones in as well, so I don't know how loud I'm speaking. <laughs> so even with a podcast, you just strain yourself for an hour. <laughs> so thank you, audiences, for li- listening to us strain thank you very about much. films. Yes. Um, even if we do go a bit stir-crazy. Um we are trying to find films that are more available to you guys, but there will be some films that you kind of have to really search out for or perhaps mm. rent or, you know, order DVDs of. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, we try and, you know, catch stuff on, you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime. Um, 
if we do talk about a film that's you know outside of streaming services, it's because it's one hundred percent worth the the money for the most part. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to announce what we're talking about next because we only have one of three confirmed. But tune in next week to hear us and Heidi talk about that and maybe talk about some production design elements and some yes. history elements. That's what I can say. Um, and until yeah, then... You can say it. Oh, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Podcast. Hey. <laughs> Excellent. Wow, okay, I'll, I'll press record. Uh, stop recording. I press record. <laughs>